Hi, my name is Marie White, and I would like to welcome you to the podcast, The White Bikini. Joining me today is my co-host, Nicholas Fanton. How are you, Nicholas? Hi, Marie. It's great to be with you again. Today, we're discussing one of my favorite topics, which is modeling, but most importantly, Linda Evangelista, who was, as we both know, a supermodel in the late 1980s into the mid-90s. Of course, she had her iconic moment with the other supermodels in George Michael's Freedom video. Yeah, that is absolutely one of the quintessential 90s moments as far as I'm concerned. video. I believe it was directed by famed fashion photographer Herb Ritz. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong on that. The the cinematography, the sound, the music, George Michael at his peak, as far as I'm concerned, it was essentially 90s. George Michael, may he rest in peace. He's still missed. Linda is back in the news currently because she did have what is being called a bot surgery to freeze the fat in her body. And instead of freezing it, it actually froze it, which is what it was supposed to do. But then it made it bigger and then it spread in her body and onto her face. And now she feels that she's been brutally disfigured and has been in seclusion since 2015 and when the surgery did happen. On a sort of superficial knee-jerk response, the general public might feel, well, boo-hoo, you know, sad little rich pretty girl who tried to extend her moment in the sun, but there are layers to this. There are different ways of understanding her experience and connecting with the trauma because for most of her life, she lived in a fantasy world that was maintained by very wealthy men who exploited her for her physical appearance and essentially objectified her. And it's not to say that Linda didn't consent to, to this, but you know, as we go on, I, I think we'll tease out some of the nuances in her life and, and perhaps gain a little bit more empathy for her rather than just speak of her dismissively, as I think is our inclination. Just a couple quick facts about Linda. I learned more about her when I was researching the podcast. She had a very strict Catholic upbringing, which I never knew. She was born in May 1965 in St. Catharines, which is a Canadian province in Ontario. Her father worked for General Motors and her mother was just a traditional homemaker, was a bookkeeper. Linda is the supermodel that reading over many interviews that she is the true model. Modeling is all she ever wanted to do. Compared to Cindy Crawford, who was actually in college studying chemistry, Christina Turleton was also in school. 
Linda really wanted to be nothing but a model. Some of the models have emerged as stars, and among these runway stars, none shines brighter than 26-year-old Linda Evangelista. Linda lives here in Paris, and so we thought we'd take this opportunity to sample a day in her life. So today, Chanel, on Wednesday, is Hervé Léger. It's um, his first show, and he's my... The one I've decided to do this season for free. Each season I choose a young new designer to support. Allure, have Italian Vogue with Stephen Maisel. Every day I work, every single day. I always wanted to be a model, I was obsessed with it. I mean, I read every fashion magazine from the time I was 12, but I never thought I would become this. Never. I don't know. I change my hair color and it gets headlines. It's amazing. I didn't lose a client. I didn't lose a job. I don't think people book me for my hair color. I think I can do a lot of the designers and look right in the clothes from the Japanese to something more young or to something trendy or to something sophisticated and elegant. I feel like I can fit into all of them. It's an interesting take on the idea of becoming a model because you think of preparing yourself to become a teacher or an astronaut, a doctor, a carpenter, electrician. It's something that you work towards, you aspire towards, you gain certain skills. But a model, actress even, there is that quality where it comes down to someone selecting you because they think you're physically attractive enough to sell their products. And so I think, I don't know if it's envy that many of us feel when we hear about the lives of someone like Linda Evangelista uh, choosing to become a model, because on some level we recognize that you know, she won the genetic arms race. You know, she was the lucky egg and the lucky sperm. And so I think perhaps that's one of the first reasons why we don't have a lot of sympathy for her. But it is interesting that she essentially, this is this was her aspiration to become a model. And that is important as it goes on, because as the years went on more into the mid 90s, the early 2000s, Christy Turlington went back to school. Cindy Crawford spread out with makeup. I actually own Cindy Crawford furniture. Linda was never able to really expand, which as she matured and things got a little more difficult, she really did not have another focus to turn to. Yeah, and I think you'd probably take having a personal relationship with her to understand that idea. She seemed in some ways like Cinderella, who despite being told that the clock was about to strike 12, she refused to step out of the ball, out of the ballroom, which is very interesting when you think about all the other supermodels. I'm thinking about Kathy Ireland, another one who became a fantastic businesswoman. I agreed. And as time goes on, her difficulty, I feel like when I've listened to her interviews, she seems stuck in a time capsule of the 90s. And I do feel bad for her. That's exactly my sentiment. Yes, I, I rather than condemnation I, I feel a great deal of i don't know if pity is the right word but certainly empathy she seemed like someone who was afflicted by arrested development someone who achieved their dream and their goals beyond their wildest imagination you can perhaps speak to this better having with your experience working in in cosmetics 
that these girls are discovered at 12 or 13. And by the time they're 21, they've aged out, which is insane. I think in this generation, they aged out. I don't think the industry is like that anymore. And I'm thankful for it. You and I, you and I both. Uh, I think the fashion industry is incredibly toxic. Uh, you know, in preparing for this discussion today, just listening to the horrors of the levels of exploitation, you know, we have this impression looking back on these models during the 80s and 90s that they were living this life of glamour with incredible wealth and access to resources that we can only imagine. But there was a dark side to it. I believe the story of Karen Mulder comes to mind, where essentially these young girls were pimped out by their modeling agencies to attend, quote unquote, dinners with wealthy businessmen. Um, you know, it was model by day, escort by night. And it's it's unseemly to think about it in, in those terms and, and the horrors and the abuse that some of these young girls went through. And what what stands out to me was the discussion around Linda in that she was so famous, she was protected from some of the worst abuses of the industry. And, and I just want to know what your thoughts are around that. Well, she was protected because she was married to him. Gerald Marie was Linda Evangelista's husband from 1987 to 1993. So when she was protected from it, she was really being, she was married to him. And ironically, in this Me Too movement where Linda's surgery went bad, it also came out that her husband, Gerald Marie, was sued from many of the models from the 1980s, the most famous one being Carrie Otis, who was married to Mickey Rourke, sued her because she claimed that he raped her. Sued him, yes. Um, yeah, I just, it's, that's, that's, as much as I am fascinated by the story of Linda Evangelista, it's the underbelly of the industry that I found to be the most disturbing. Let's not forget that these girls, as I said, are scouted at 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. And they're essentially treated like adults, both in terms of the, the fashion business, but also as commodities. And, and I, I don't know, you know, what your impression of that era was like. You know, I think perhaps I was a little too young to really gain or have a, a, a complex understanding of what the fashion industry was like and the abuses that took place. I mean, were you aware that it was that unseemly, at least by my aesthetics? No, I, I feel that in every podcast, you and I touch upon this, that no one was living in almost a, a, re, a reality-based world. The supermodels to me, I would get my Vogue magazine, I would get Seventeen magazine, I would get Glamour. I was so caught up in the beauty and the perfection. I had no idea what was going on behind all of the scenes, but no one did, because this is really decades before social media, and it was much easier to hide these horror stories that really have only come out 30 some years later. Linda started modeling in 1981. So she was in the mix of what I believe is the verbal and physical abuse. Well, you know, talk about the relationship that Gerald Marie had prior to meeting Linda. I find that to be fascinating. Well, he was the top agent of the model of elite modeling. And, you know, he did have, he did start many supermodels to, you know, to become more popular, but he really 
sexually abused them and verbally abused them and they were almost living in fear. Yeah, I just I, I'm thinking specifically of a story of the I believe it was a 16 year old girl that Gerald Marie was cohabitating with and he met Linda and then I believe that same day, that same week. Yes, they moved in. He's yeah. Linda moved in. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Linda, Linda moved into his his uh, flat, his uh, apartment, and this poor 16-year-old girl comes back to the apartment and has no idea what's going on, not knowing that she has been replaced. I just, I can't fathom the horror associated with something like that. And Linda spent her next few years of the marriage worrying who she was going to be replaced with next. And I've gone online, there's tons of images of him with women younger than Linda was in her late 20s in 1993 when the marriage ended. At that point, he was surrounded by 15 and 16 years old. But I do get the feeling from Linda in some of the interviews that she's very patriarchal. Yeah, I think she was accommodating. I think, and this perhaps might be the darkest thing I can say about her. I think she saw what she needed to see and she didn't see what she needed to see in order to maintain the illusion. Whenever you have systemic abuse of women and young girls like this, you know that somewhere in that ecosystem, there is a, another woman or other women that are enabling the abuse. But it also goes to the same generational problem that I do believe. Linda's not really a baby boomer. I consider her more Gen X as I consider myself. But we were very, we were raised to believe that men knew better than us. And I can see that in her behavior really throughout most of her life. And especially with her marriage to Gerald Marie. I think that's absolutely right. And especially when it's right in front of you, because the men are running the modeling agencies. They are taking you on chartered flights, uh, Gulfstream, five-star hotels, Michelin, you know, five-star restaurants. You can't be faulted for having the wool pulled over your eyes in that instance. I don't know. I mean, I feel like I, I perhaps need to push back a little bit that she was a 16-year-old girl once. And I think on some levels, she must have recognized, unless you disagree, that this guy is having sexual relationships with children. I, I can't imagine being in that situation, either being Linda or being one of the many young girls that Gerald Marie was pursuing. I'm struggling with that. I'm struggling with that notion a little bit that what could she have done? I don't know, but I feel like something should have been done. I agree. And I guess it goes back to even I grew up in that generation. It's hard for me to look back now and think about all of the things and the behaviors that we tolerated out of fear of speaking up. Yeah, I guess that's what it is. I, I suppose when you're conditioned to be afraid and to defer to men. I, I suppose that's the kind of behavior that comes about. You know, another sort of impression that I got listening to her interview was, and I hope this doesn't sound, this doesn't sound unfair or uncharitable. The way she speaks, she's clearly articulate, but there's something, there's a childlike quality in the way she speaks that I find a little bit disturbing. Did you get that sense? And I can expound on that more. No, we both listened to the same podcast of her interview with People Magazine. I did find, I'm going to steal your word, an arrested development. 
But what surprised me, full disclosure, Linda Evangelista is my least favorite supermodel of the era. But after I've learned more about her, my level of empathy has grown for her. And I think she serves as a warning of what happened to many women in that generation. And I have empathy for her now, but I do think there comes a time that you have to evolve and grow out of that phase that I think she's stuck in. And I do believe coming out with the podcast and coming out with the cosmetic surgery, fat freezing problem, that I think she's going to transition to become a more mature woman and have a more important voice. I, I would hope so, because I, I think you're right. Does the world expect supermodels to solve Middle East peace or the energy crisis? No, but I think there is a recognition now. And granted, I think her time passed before the era of social media, that when you have a large platform, when you have access to the public and you're able to influence so many minds, not to use it to do something of some social importance seems lacking, that there is a, a, a kind of character deficit. But, you know, one of the things I think we've teased out from this discussion so far is that she's a product of her generation. She's product of a very unique environment, one in which she was essentially seen and not heard, almost literally. And, and, and I, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. I, go on. I find it interesting that she grew up in that environment where it, she was literally to be seen and hardly ever heard because no one really interviewed supermodels. They were, you know, they were essentially consumed through video on the catwalk or in or on the cover of Vogue or fashion shoots. No one really ever sat down and really asked these women because here's another little bit of thing, you know, a little bit of trivia that I picked up along the way is that Cindy Crawford, who you alluded to sooner, is actually an academic. She's a very intelligent woman who happened to expand beyond just being an object of beauty. So I think, I don't know, I go back and forth on this. Are we being uncharitable to Linda because she's not a Cindy Crawford? You know, were there circumstances that made Linda unique and made her experience completely unique to some of these other women that were able to leverage their fame and, and celebrity to do other things? I think Linda Evangelista reminds me of Holly Go Lightly and Breakfast at Tiffany's. She, after listening to many interviews with her, reading more and more about her, I think she's actually a sweet girl that believed in the good in people and the dream and marriage. And none of those things worked for her. You know, as you say that, that's kind of the quality that I hear in her voice, in the in her the pitch and the intonation of her voice, she sounds almost like a disenchanted Disney princess. Agreed. I think that's the impression that, to my mind, sums up her experience, is that the dream of so many little girls in the Western world, you know, to be beautiful and desired and perhaps famous and live a life of glamour, she achieved it. But she achieved it at the expense of her identity and the, the type of growth that all individuals, I think, we're we're all entitled to grow and to make mistakes and to expand. And I, I think perhaps since this cosmetics surgery uh, fiasco, this might be the moment or perhaps the first moment, second moment, I guess, if you consider the fact that she has a child in her life where she's grown and demonstrated some 
degree of awareness and vulnerability and engagement with a larger public and the environment around her. And I think when I heard the podcast with People Magazine, I was a little startled. But I also believe that she's a woman that believes in love and her, her marriages and none of her relationships have worked out. Where Cindy Crawford's been married for 20 some years, Christy Tarleton's been married for 25 years to Ed Burns. I noticed a sadness about her that really startled me and it made me have more empathy for her. And I know that she does have a child, but I thought it was very touching in the interview when she said she did not want to burden her son. That's not her, his job. And I sense her longing for a life partner. And I think we all struggle with that, whether we are famous celebrities or average people, that we all want to have meaningful connections in our lives. And I, I suspect for Linda Evangelista, she became so objectified throughout her career that she was chosen by men. But I don't know how much agency she exercised in those relationships. I think that's one of the components of a healthy relationship is that there needs to be some degree of a balance of power. There needs to be agency between both partners. And I just get the impression that a lot of these wealthy, famous men saw her, became enamored with her, and chose her until they found something else. And I, I, I guess, you know, to what you just said, you know, that must leave a fairly empty feeling inside. Yeah. And when I was listening to her, I truly was startled just going over what she went through with the surgery, how it's really disfigured her. And just the sense of loneliness really startled me. And I did feel now that she's trying to break out and I love the fact, as someone who suffers from it, that she said she wants to get past this sense of shame, that she knows she's not the supermodel from the 1990s, but she has to figure out who is she and what can she do moving forward. I think that's the hope of all of us. Life will present us with or demand of us the need to grow and expand. You can postpone it, but at some point it will become inevitable force driving us towards change or we will become you know perhaps a recluse incapable of functioning in society and i certainly don't hope that for linda evangelista and, and by the way i mean almost ne neglected to address the elephant in the room and is do you, you know you've seen her post-op do you think being disfigured is an appropriate description or do you think it's, it's more of a, a cry that the feeling and that she's lost something when I first saw the photos of her, I was a little startled because when you don't see someone for five some years and the change that she went through was a big change. And as I look at her in the post-surgery photos, I think she's a mature, beautiful woman that I do believe with some self-acceptance and not comparing herself as many people and myself included compare themselves to what they look at 23, 33, and in her case, even 43, and find the beauty in who she's evolved into. But that's not always easy to do. As you speak, that is kind of my impression. I, I see her. And if you hadn't told me that she had some cosmetic procedure done, I would have thought she's age appropriate, that, you know, someone her age would perhaps look that way. But I, I can imagine that there was probably some trauma as a result of the surgery. And she's so keenly aware of her face. She's so keenly aware of any change to her face would be absolutely traumatic. 
And she was considered the top model in her day, as we discussed, because all she wanted to do was model. And of course, she did coin the phrase, we do not get out of bed from, for less than $10,000 a day. And when she said that, I remember being very startled and thought it was a little presumptuous. But as time moves on, she really was the first person that knew her worth. That if she said that today, everyone would be like, you know what, you're right. Don't get out of bed for less than that. But at the time, again, women were not allowed to express their worth. We had to, we, you know, it was, she was still in that puritanical upbringing. I agree. You know, and the we we're talking about is Naomi and was it Chrissy Tarlington? It's really, yes. Well, they were, they were the Trinity, Naomi Campbell, Chrissy Tarlington, and Linda Evangelista. You know what? And, and as I said, if taken today or if spoken today, that would be such a powerful feminist message, uh, such a powerful statement of, of female empowerment. But, you know, in that era, it was unseemly to say the least. And when she said it, it was right at the time that the Gulf War was also happening. So people were kind of, people weren't kind of, people were picking on her for the insensitivity during the war to come out with that comment. But when I heard the interviews with her, she was a young woman. She she made a joke that we all could have done at some point in our lives and it really got escalated. And she didn't regret saying it because she still believes it but she regretted how it was twisted around and made her seem ungrateful, which was never her intention. No, I think one of the greatest thrills of the media is to build someone up so that they can knock them down. It's like little kids at the beach. One of the greatest thrills of watching little kids at the beach is the time and effort they spend into building these giant sand sculptures. But ultimately, the greatest thrill of all is at the end of the day when mommy and daddy tells tells them it's time to come home is watch them destroy and stomp all over their sand sculptures. And I think there is this, I don't know if it's schadenfreude or this need to watch people who we see or believe are better than us to watch them suffer and fail. And I, I think that was a case where perhaps she let her guard down around the media because she perhaps thought she was above being criticized until that moment. And then she was caught up in a situation where the the mood of the nation had shifted from adoring these women for essentially just being genetic lottery winners to being consumed with the somberness of war and death and destruction. And another big thing that happened to her was in 1988 to 1989, she dramatically cut her hair. Well, at the time, no model cut their hair short, except for maybe Twiggy and Gene Seberg. It was a very severe cut. It was startling because at the time, your hair was always tied to how sexy you are. And the longer, the better, right? Correct. But when she cut it, every woman across America started following suit and cutting their hair shorter. And they, she did a one-off interview and she said, I'm so sick of seeing my hair cut everywhere. So that was the $10,000 a day, the comment that she thought she was so above the everyday woman having a haircut like hers. So by the early 1990s, kind of after I think her peak really was the George Michael freedom. And all these little nuances kind of started tearing at the fabric of Linda Evangelista. I see what you're saying. There's one other topic that I think might or should be worth discussing in this podcast and that is the influence that trinity had on showcasing naomi campbell uh would you speak to that a little bit 
Well, I know that a lot, the girls in the Trinity would not take a lot of jobs unless Naomi was also on the shoots. So they did fight for her to be out there. She, you know, Naomi was one of the most beautiful models and there really were not at the time many African-American models. There was Beverly Johnson, there was somewhat Amon, but I do believe Naomi Campbell set the trend. I'm gonna go as far as saying for Beyonce. I think she set the trend for glamorous black women of the late 90s and early 21st century. And I think it is important. I think that exposure, you know, what, look what's going on right now in America with Ketanji Brown being elevated to the Supreme Court and the significance behind that for young black women. I think it should not be understated that Naomi Campbell walking the catwalk. And, and let's let's be brutally honest as to why it was important to see Naomi Campbell is because Black wasn't beautiful. Black was considered inferior and ugly. And so to have a Black female represent Vogue and be on the, the leading edge of fashion and represent a different perspective was meaningful. And I think, as you said, I, I suspect without a Naomi Campbell, we may not have had a Beyonce and the countless women of color, Lupita Nyong'o, um, and so many others that are now consist considered fashion and, and beauty icons. So, you know, perhaps maybe, you know, 40, 50 years from now, it won't be so much the importance of Linda Evangelista's career in and of itself, but it could be her influence um, in, in the exposure that she gave to the industry and to, you know, a Black supermodel and how it transformed the way the world, the West, the world specific, specifically considers uh, beauty or evaluates beauty. There was always African-American models. Halston had them in his runways in the 1970s. They were called the Halstonettes. But I think what happened with Linda, Naomi and Christy Turleton is MTV. True. I forgot. To, that's almost a podcast in and of itself. So I think they came where Prior to MTV, I'm going to use Christy Brinkley, Cheryl Teagues. You didn't really have too many models interviewed. But when the George Michael video happened, MTV was really at its peak. They were became more pop culture and really were talking more and more. So there was more nuance to kind of pick at them more than previous generations. Yeah, I think the I, you know what? You're, you're absolutely right about that. I think the exposure brought about by MTV uh, was transformative. And I certainly, I think the culmination of that exposure was that Freedom 90 video, that George Michael video. But, you know, let's face it, uh, MTV was such a major cultural, cultural icon of the 1980s and 1990s. So whether it was a direct reference to the fashion model, it was all in this in this cultural melange of music and fashion and beauty, of which I think, as you aptly stated, Linda Evangelista was one more important faces and voices. By 1992, the industry was changing and the, the name that we're all going to remember is their look, the supermodels, the, the Trinity's look was becoming outdated because of the introduction of Kate Moss. Yeah, heroin chic. Is that is if my if my memory serves, I, that that's my memory of it. That Kate Moss ushered in this this sort of emaciated gorgeousness, if that's a concept. 
Well, I think just like we've talked about in previous podcasts, these girls were at the peak in the mid 80s, late 80s, early 90s. And just when grunge happened, the switch went off in the modeling world. Yeah, I, I do recall that. I think uh, I have a memory of Marky Mark being very famous at that point. And I do remember Kate Moss. And uh, I guess maybe in the moment, because, you know, I certainly wasn't socially and culturally aware enough to understand what was happening, that the um, in the same way that grunge uh, displays hair and glam rock, uh, you're absolutely right that that's really a astute observation that Kate Moss and that look replaced the glamour of the Linda and Naomi and Christy and that that look it, it it evaporated and I think her life changed overnight they were no longer in demand you know Kate Moss was taking over as you said to her when she she stayed married to Gerard Marie only until 1993 and I think they all I shouldn't say all I think Christy Turlington she went to school she got her degree Naomi Campbell did expand her horizon. She was a top model. And even Cindy Crawford, as we discussed, but Linda lost her way at this point because the life that she was living no longer existed. She did go on to have a child in 2006 with Francois Pinault. And that really hurled in probably the darker time in her life. There was an ugly custody battle and financial battle over the child. And at that point, that brings her up to the mid-2000s, and she's in her mid-40s, and as the jobs are drying up, and since she never expanded to whether it be, you know, skincare or selling something else, she knew nothing but modeling, that she felt the need to do this surgery. And that's when, you know, the next layer of problems in her life happened. You'd think if she had taken the path of a Rihanna, who sort of cross-promoted fashion, cosmetics, and music, and built a billion-dollar empire, do you think she would have avoided some of the pitfalls in her life? Because, you know, I I struggle with the character of Linda Evangelista in so many ways. You know, there's a part of me that, as I said, is very empathetic and, and just compassionate towards her. But it's there's another part of me that seems to recognize there was a stubbornness to her she refused to accept the fact that the ball was going to end. And I don't know if you blame her squarely for that in terms of preparing her life for the next chapter or upcoming chapters, or was she just so almost like a cult indoctrinated into a world that was not real, that she couldn't help but f fall victim to the harshness of a world outside modeling. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I think for someone like Linda Evangelista, I think the fact that the traditional marriage, successful marriage and a bigger family that she so longed for kind of didn't pass her by. I think she went through some emotional trauma trying to cope with that. So you don't think it's related to the modeling industry as much as it is as it is something much more intimate um, as, as family and children. I think the happily ever after passed her by. And I think she was probably busy, probably keeping, you know, busy. And then I do think like a switch went off and then it's the mid nineties. She did, she kind of floundered after that because, you know, as we discussed, the modeling industry changed, taste changed, music's changed. 
she disappeared. She had a relationship with a football player in the mid to late 2000s. That ended. She was engaged to Kyler McLaughlin. That ended. So at this point, by her mid 40s, she has three very serious relationships behind her. And I think she sounds to me like a girl that's broken hearted. And I don't think she had the wherewithal to keep fighting the good fight. Yeah, I definitely heard that quality in her voice. There's there's a lot of grief,、um, and, and it's sad. You know, I I certainly don't want to pity her. Because it, it comes off as being demeaning, and and that's not my intention. But I, there, there's something, there's a quality to the way she speaks. There's a sadness. There's there's an emotionality that I. It's a little bit haunting. It's a little bit disturbing. You know, as I said before, you know, there's definitely that immediate impression of, oh my gosh, this sounds like someone who has a serious case of arrested development. But as you have also mentioned, there's also the quality of sadness and grief and loss, and I don't think we should ever allow ourselves to lose compassion for others who are experiencing that kind of grief. Yeah, and she probably, like everyone else, wanted the long-term marriage, wanted a big family, and when I listened to this interview, there there was a sadness, and then. I believe a few years got by her, and then it's the mid 2000s. She did have her child. The relationship did not work out. He went on to marry Salma Hayek. So again, that's a fifth, sixth relationship that just does not work out. And though it did produce a child, there's a sadness to her that I do find very haunting, and I am I am empathetic to her. And I think by this point, she was in her mid 40s by 2015. If not her late forties, and then she turned to probably that last final hope. I don't believe she wanted to look younger. I think she just wanted to look a little firmer. And then for this, another thing to not work out. I feel a sense of trauma about her that I'm very empathetic. Yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of sadness to her, and I think you know it, there's this ultimate tragic irony to her life is that. These men valued her for her beauty, and so she never necessarily had to develop a lot of substance or the intangibles that make someone interesting. You know, when the lights go out and you know you can't see their face anymore, and you know the ability to have maybe sophisticated conversations and engage with the topical ideas. I get this. I don't get the sense that she is just sort of deep into the nuances of the challenges facing the world. And I think when you get to a certain age, and when you were just simply valued for your beauty, and someone just turned eighteen the other day, and they're more beautiful and eighteen years old, and you're now, as you said, in your mid to late forties, I can imagine how, on a certain level, it must create a sense of horror because I think she needs, she must recognize that there's something lacking, and I think we all face that to a certain degree in our lives. That it, it doesn't matter how accomplished you are. We all come to a point in our lives where we recognize there are things that are that are lacking, and there are opportunities that have passed us by. So, I, I can imagine, you know, that that surgery was perhaps a last grasp at the maybe of a life that she left behind. And I think when you say the men only valued her beauty, I believe Linda Evangelista's worst heartache is she only valued herself because of her beauty. Yeah, you know what? You're absolutely right. I didn't think about that, but you're right, and I, I, you're right. What do you do with something like that? With, with that kind of, I, I say, distortion. I do believe reading a couple interviews with her, I think she's going to come out on the other side. I do follow her on Instagram, 
and she is taking advantage of social media now. I do believe there's going to be a third act for Linda Evangelista, and I think it's going to be her most authentic act because I think once you wipe away all the barriers that beauty can bring, and you're not constantly on stage trying to be the prettiest girl, I think there's a little more substance there that she'll be able to develop. I think we can both hope for that. Um, you know, just from one human being to another, from one person having a very painful human experience to another, I think we can all hope for Linda to find her third act and an act of redemption and, and an act of rebirth. And ironically, she is my favorite supermodel now. Perhaps that's one of the consequences of tragedy. It's that it exposes our weaknesses and it's in the it's in the process i think of rebuilding our identity that we can gain some strength so i can understand why you'd feel that way i was deeply moved by many of the interviews that i read and listened to and i do believe the best is yet to come and it's going to be the most authentic linda and i do believe there's a, a third actor out out there for her and i can't wait to see what she does next you and I both. Thank you for joining me today, Nicholas, on The White Bikini. And thank you to all the listeners for joining us today. Thank you, Marie. Until next time. <laughs>